Can we do that to Jesus together? Can you turn those hand claps to Jesus this morning if he's ever been good to you? If he's ever set you free, if he's ever given his love to you, if he's ever poured out grace and mercy on you one more time, can you just put your hands together, lift your voice, let him know how much you appreciate him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated just for a moment, and we'll stand again for the reading of the word of the Lord. We'll be reading from the book of James, chapter 4 and verse 7, and then we will read from Mark, chapter 8, verses 34 through 35, James 4 and 7, and Mark 8, 34 through 35. What a privilege it is to be back here with all of you. I had no idea when I was here Thursday night, ending out the year with you, that I would also have the privilege of beginning the year with you. So I'm so honored that I could be here to help close out 2020 and help begin 2021 with all of you. Amen. What a privilege, what a pleasure it is of ours to be here. And um, obviously I wish it were under different circumstances because I know your pastor has been a little under the weather and is just trying to be safe and, and make sure he's uh, not contagious or anything like that. So I wish it were under different circumstances, but again, it is an honor to be here and begin 2021 with you. It's hard to believe that it's 2021. I'm sure especially the elders here in the church could nod their heads and agree. It's hard to believe we've made it this far, <laughs> especially after a year like 2020. But we do know that the Lord is coming soon, and I'm thankful for the year he's given us last year, for another year he's given us, and every day that he gives us is a good day to live for the Lord. It's, a, it's another day, another chance to spread the word of the Lord, to live in the light and joy of Jesus. I'm thankful for every day that he gives us, and today is no exception. I'm especially thankful for Sundays where we can gather together, feel the presence of God, hear the preached word of God, worship God together, and leave changed by the word and presence of God. Are you here to leave change this morning? Come on, I don't know about you, but I don't want to let a single service go to waste in 2021. Time is too short. And I want to take advantage of every opportunity I am in the presence of God. We're going to turn to the word of the Lord in just a minute, but I do, I, I would be remiss not to just thank all of you for your kindness and your pastor in his absence for having us. Give honor to my wife. As Brother Gisande mentioned, she was not able to be here Thursday night, but she is here. So glad she's here. Gives me comfort to look over and see her face while I'm preaching. And uh, just so, so very glad she's here. All of you who told me to tell her hello, I tried to remember. But if I forgot, now you have your chance. You can just tell her uh, uh, yourself in case I forgot. Amen. So glad she's here. Uh, so neat to uh, to see little little Kingston there worshiping up front. I was watching him dance around worship, and I thought, man, we all need to worship like Kingston. <laughs> we all need to get just a little Kingston in us. So awesome. Don't want to embarrass her, but so awesome to see Sister Rihanna singing up there and worshiping God with all of her heart. How wonderful that is. Amen. So thankful and excited to see all that God has done in her life the lives of so many others here at Cornerstone. And uh, last but not least, I do want to give thanks to Brother Gisande and the leadership team of this church. Appreciate the kind words that he shared. He always seems to know what to say and have the right thing to say and the encouraging thing to say. And um, 
when I grow up, I hope I'm as cool as Brother Gusande. Amen. I hope I can be on his level. Amen. <laughs> there, there's, there's some that are laughing, going to give him a hard time probably. Uh, but that's how you know this is a church that is unified, loves each other. You guys know how to give each other a hard time, tease each other. And uh, Brother Sargent as well, I know he, that's, uh, he's got a tremendous ministry. And part of that ministry is teasing in love. And, uh, and I love that about him. Love Brother Sargent as well. Love everybody here. I could go on and on, but I need to, I need to jump into this today and see where the Lord wants to take us. Um, if, if it's your custom, you can stand for the reading of your, of your word. If you're not physically able, we understand. But we're going to read this together, James 4 and 7, Mark chapter 8. This is 34 through 35 as well. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thankful for what we feel here today. Thankful for the music team and God using them to usher the presence of the Lord into this place. James 4 and 7 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want to just focus on that first part of the, of the verse, of the passage, that first sentence. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Mark 8, 34 through 35. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. Everything's different and upside down in the kingdom. And this is what Jesus is describing here. Whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it or find it. Amen. Are you thankful? that we can find true life and eternal life in Jesus Christ. What I want to preach to us about this morning with the help of the Lord is simply this title, What the World Really Needs. What the World Really Needs. And I want to start out 2021 talking about what the world really needs. One more time before you're seated, could you put down your Bibles and just give a great big hand clap, a great big hand praise to Jesus. God, we worship you. We thank you for your goodness. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in Spokane as it is in heaven. We praise you. We worship you. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. In 1967, there was a British rock band called The Beatles that released a hit single titled, All You Need Is Love. John Lennon famously wrote the song, and these are some of the lyrics on the chorus that he penned. He said, nothing you can make that can't be made, no one you can save that can't be saved, nothing you can do but you can learn how to be you in time. It's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. This song was a hit around the world, and it inspired thousands of songs to be written with the same mantra, as well as many articles, secular movies, and books to be created with this idea as well. Even today, it is still popular to say things like, if we just only had more love, 
everything would be just fine. But my question to us today is, is it true that all we really need is just more love? You see, the Beatles continued to live a life of illegal drug use, drunkenness, and promiscuity, destroying their own lives and the lives of others. They went on to famously comment that they were even bigger than Jesus. What the Beatles failed to realize or conveniently ignored is that this Jesus that they referred to spoke revolutionary ideas about love far before the Beatles' song was ever written. In fact, Jesus had already said something very similar to what Lennon was trying to say in the song, and he said it on the night of the Last Supper. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. This is found in John 13. So Jesus had his hit single about love far before the Beatles ever did. You see, God is love. And Jesus is God in the flesh. So Jesus was and is the expression of divine, perfect love. Jesus lives and breathes love. He loves each and every one of us in this room more than we could ever imagine or express. Scripture tells us as well in Romans 5 and 8 that God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And also in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God knows all about love. He is love. And he told us that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. So I am certainly not diminishing love because Jesus did not diminish love. I am only asking us today, is it true that all we need is love? People say we need more love. Excuse me. As if the very presence of love will somehow force people to accept and obey that love. But that just isn't the case. I'm going to say that again. People say that we need more love as if the very presence of love will somehow force people to accept and obey that love. But that just is not the case. You say, what's the evidence for that, preacher? I will give you the evidence this morning. The reason why I know this is true is because perfect love has already existed once. Perfect love has already lived on the earth once. He ate, he hungered, he slept, just like you and I. He was fully God and fully man. His name was Jesus Christ, and he was perfect love. And instead of being celebrated, he was crucified. For those back then and now that say we just need more love, perfect love, the full embodiment of love showed up on the earth. And instead of having a red carpet rolled out for him, there was no room for him in the end. Instead of people falling at his feet, and some did, but uh, instead of everyone acknowledging that he was perfect love and everyone uh, uh, just, just giving themselves to that, instead there were people that spit on him. There were people that mocked him. There were people that hated his words. There were people that hated his ministry. Amen. He existed on the earth as perfect love, but instead of being celebrated 
demonstrated he was crucified. So we cannot just say that all we need is love because even when perfect love existed, there were hundreds, yea, thousands that rejected him. So what the world means by that, in many cases when they say all we need is just more love, what the world means often by that is what they really want is more tolerance. Tolerance of what, of what they want to do. Tolerance of the life that they want to live. But as C.S. Lewis once said, tolerance is a mere parody of love. And now these same people that say they want this that they want more love and really what they're wanting is more tolerance. Now it is a one-directional tolerance that is wanted. And a one-directional tolerance is no longer tolerance at all, for true tolerance is a bridge that must go both directions. So therefore now it is not even tolerance the world wants from you, it is complicity. It is your agreement. It is your complicity. So despite what they say, what the world is wanting is not more love and not even more tolerance, but what it is that they're wanting is complicity. But I am here to tell you this morning and explain what the world really needs. I'm here to tell you that we don't just need more love. I know we need love, especially in our climate. Please understand, I'm not diminishing that. We need unity, love one for another and for those in the world. But I'm here to tell you that we don't just need more love. What we need is more humility. What we need is repentance. I'm here to tell you on a Sunday morning that what the world really needs more than anything else is surrender. What the world really needs more than anything else and what the church and the people of God need more than anything else is surrender. Surrender to God. Surrender to his word. Surrender to his heart. And surrender to his plans. If you feel that way this morning, give him some praise today. Because if there is no surrender, the presence of love will do us no good. And we will only end up crucifying it just as they crucified Christ. Love does you no good if you're not willing to surrender to that love. And if you're not willing to obey all that that love requires of you and of I. What the world needs is not just more love. What the world needs is surrender. When I say the world, I'm referring to everybody. I'm referring this morning to saint and to visitor alike. Maybe you've lived for God for a season. Maybe this is your first time here. But all of us, amen, would do well to heed the word of God this morning. That's, that's, that's saying that we need to surrender more of our heart, more of our mind, more of our plans. What we need out in the world, yes, but also even in the church. There are people on the pews this morning that maybe you've been coming here for a while. And if so, I'm thankful and Jesus is thankful, but maybe, just maybe, there are still things in your life that you have yet to surrender completely and totally to God. Maybe there's some things you've held back. Maybe you've surrendered 90%, but there's that one thing that you have refused to let go of. Maybe your heart is at a 70% commitment level, but God is wanting all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. I'm just here to preach to us on the 
on this new year, the first Sunday of 2021, amen, that we are going to get where we need to go and we're going to make where we need to go and we're going to be all that we need to be via surrender to Jesus Christ. When every person in the church, amen, when every person can surrender their heart and mind completely and totally to God, that is when the church can go to a higher place, a deeper level, a greater dimension than it's ever gone before. Back in the early, early 1900s of the famous Azusa Street Revival, if you read the words of journalist and revivalist Frank Bartleman, he, uh, he, he, he wrote to someone in Wales when the Welsh revival was taking place because he saw that something was beginning to take place in Los Angeles, a great revival, and he wanted more, and he could tell that they, there was a place they hadn't quite broke through yet, and, and so he uh, wrote letters to this person in Wales and said, what do we need to do to have the kind of revival that you have had there? And he wrote back, the person, the revivalist in Wales wrote back with a very short letter, and basically what he said in just a few sentences, he said, gather the people together who are willing to make a total surrender and then pray and wait. Gather the people together who are willing to make a total surrender and pray and wait. I've just come to preach to someone this morning. What we really need more than anything else in these end times is surrender to God. Hallelujah. Let me ask someone, what... what you know, what do you think that perfect love looks like? Jesus was perfect love, and I think sometimes people think that, that perfection, perfect love, or perfect truth looks like someone who has no enemies and gets everyone to agree with him. That, that, that's not perfect love. That's not perfect truth. That is not Christ because Christ had plenty of enemies because his words were true, and they cut to the heart and pierced the soul. Amen. The description about someone who has no enemies and gets everyone to agree with him, that's not a description of Christ. That description is more akin to the Antichrist. Again, Jesus had enemies because he was true love, because he was truth incarnate, because he was willing, because he loved people so much that he was willing to speak truth to them. Because he loved them enough that he said, if you keep messing around with this, it's going to destroy your soul. Because he loved them so much, he called them out for their multiple occasions of adultery that they had just been committing. And then when it was over, he told them to stop sinning, go and sin no more. Amen. Because he was willing to speak truth to power. Because he was willing to go to the religious elite and say, your heart is empty and all this is is outward tradition, but your heart is far from me. They hated him for that. But he did that because he was and is perfect love. He loves us enough to get real with us. He loves us enough to get in our bubble, to, to make us a little bit uncomfortable because he wants to draw the best out of us. He wants to take us deeper and higher. He sees the potential in us that we don't see in ourselves. So it's up to us to surrender to him, even when it gets uncomfortable, even if the preacher preaches some things out of the word that we may not like, but it's true. It's up to us to surrender to that. When God comes along and speaks to us and says, hey, you need to start treating your wife 
wife better or you need to start treating your husband better. It might make us uncomfortable, but I don't want to flee from that. I want to surrender to that because that's the truth. That's going to save me. That's going to help me. That's going to heal me. What we need more than ever before, church, is to completely surrender to God, to let go of our pride, to let go of our inhibitions, our cynicism, our fear, our doubts, and surrender all of ourselves to Jesus Christ and him alone. The world needs people who are willing to surrender completely to the Savior. The world needs people who are willing to relinquish their rights to God. Philippians 4 talks about this. Philippians 4 shows us that a perfect God who had every right to do whatever he wanted with sinful humanity a perfect God that could have came and just wiped everything out, a perfect God that could have been born in the, 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 the fanciest castle and palace, amen, but instead was born in a manger. This perfect God that created all of us came down to the earth relinquished his rights. Do you realize the Bible says that he took upon the form of a bond servant. He made himself of no reputation. He was relinquishing his rights in order to save you and I. Do you understand that as a bond servant, he was not, he, what, what he called himself, what the author of Philippians called Jesus in, in Philippians chapter 4, he was not referring to Jesus as just a second class citizen. You understand, when he talks about making himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a slave, what that describes is that Jesus was not considered a second class citizen, Jesus was considered a non-citizen. Do you realize that he could have been born into a palace like Moses and given himself all the rights of royalty, all the rights of privilege? He could have been drinking espresso and eating escargot to his heart's content, but instead he chose to be born to a poor woman and a poor carpenter. He chose to relinquish all of his rights to come down and save us. And when he could have pulled himself off the cross, he had every right to as God in flesh. He chose not to, and he hung there and died for you and I so we could be saved from our sins. So why on earth do we think that, that we can, why on earth do we think that we have, have a right to just do whatever we want? To ignore the plan and calling of God. To ignore the will of God for our life. To ditch out and skip, skip this or skip church or skip prayer or skip devotion when things get a little bit uncomfortable. When somebody makes us mad, well, you think we have a right to gossip about them or stab them in the back or walk away from the church or whatever it is because they hurt us or they violated our rights. Do you realize... Do you realize the foundation of the faith that we profess is a God who relinquished everything to save us? Where do we get off always talking about my rights, my will, my plans, my ideas, my thoughts? No, that's not how this works. I have a right to surrender to God. He brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light to give him my life and my body. It's my reasonable service. It's my reasonable sacrifice. It's the least that I could do. I'm not going to get hung up 
up on what I deserve and what people owe me. No, I, I don't deserve anything. I've been saved by the grace and mercy of God. I'm just glad to be here to worship. I'm just glad to be here to pray. I'm just glad I have breath in my lungs to talk to Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to get rid of any prideful, vainful, angry attitude, and I want to surrender completely over to God. Love will do you no good if you are not willing to obey it, to bear the responsibility of it, and to repent when you violate it. Love is only the answer when you are willing to surrender and live your life in obedience to that perfect love. But the problem is we've got a lot of people today in our world that don't want to surrender. Or they want to put one foot in and leave the other one out. They want to live a half-committed life. But in my Bible, Proverbs 23 and 23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Buy the truth and sell it not. A man said, I read an article recently that just, that just floored me. He said, this was a few years ago, he said, we're in the middle of a massive shift from an ownership model to an access and subscription model. And he went on to, to, to describe what he meant. Think about it. Think about your phone. Think about your car. Think about perhaps your home, your, your music that you listen to. It's probably very likely a subscription, right, or your phone. We don't own our phones anymore. I used to work at a cell phone store. I used to sell them. And I remember the switch came when, when technically no one was buying their phones anymore. They were just renting them. Everything changed. What about, what about with our cars? Amen. We don't own our cars like we used to. Instead, we're all used to just being in debt to drive the car around, and technically it is not ours. And we could go down the line with all the different things, but we live in a world now that is more based on credit, more based on a subscription model when it used to be based on an ownership model. We don't own things like we used to anymore. We just rent them, don't we? We just subscribe to a service, don't we? And it's easy to take for granted things that you do not own. And perhaps this is why our society today is so ungrateful. We don't make investments anymore. We just make subscriptions. But I've come to preach to someone today. It can never be this way in the kingdom of God. There is no kingdom subscription that you can have one month and cancel the next. We have to own our walk with God. We have to take ownership of our relationship with God, our relationship with our siblings, our relationship with our brothers and sisters. We have to take ownership of this precious gift and this precious truth that we have been given. The book of Proverbs does not say to rent the truth. The book of Proverbs doesn't say purchase a subscription to the truth. It says buy it, invest, give everything you have because there are no rented redeemers. You can't rent Jesus just for an hour. He requires you to give your whole heart and your whole life as we read in the text this morning. There are no salvation subscriptions where you can try it out for six months and dip out if you don't like all that Jesus requires of you. That is not how this works. We are called to buy the truth and when you do 
you that will be the best investment you've ever made, that will be the best purchase that you've ever made when you give over everything completely to Jesus Christ. Maybe I'm preaching to some young people here today as well, although I do feel like this applies to all of us. Young people, you've grown up in the world I've grown up in. Amen. I've got music subscriptions, and I I live in the same world that you live in. But as Brother Gisande mentioned before I came, I want to be a part of a generation that is bought in, that is sold out, that is committed. Amen. I want to buy the truth and sell it not. I want to be like the, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl found in Matthew 13, where the Bible says the kingdom of heaven, this relationship with God, this being a part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, It is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The parable thought continues. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of a great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. If a man can do that for a pearl, how much more should we do that for the presence of God? How much more should we do that for the kingdom of God? Young men, young ladies, I'm preaching to you this morning as well. We've got to be people that are sold out and radical. Hallelujah. The issue is not indifferent young people. The issue is misguided young people. Because there's a lots of young people that are willing to sell themselves for a cause. But it's the wrong cause. Can I tell you, young people, you want to be a part of something exciting You want to be a part of a revolution. You want to be a part of a great adventure, the greatest adventure you'll ever go on. Hallelujah. That comes when you get on your knees and surrender yourself to Christ. You have just become a part of the greatest revolution that history has ever known. Hallelujah. The places you'll go, the things God will call you to do, living for God, spreading his gospel, being a Christian in the end times is the greatest adventure that you could ever go on. I am a part of the greatest revolution the world has ever known. That's why I'm selling out to it. I'm buying it. I'm not renting it or subscribing. I'm giving everything I have to the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. The problem is, the problem is we want connection without commitment. And that's why social media technology has just blown up because, you know, It turns out uh, uh, committing to something and being open and vulnerable always requires risk. And so technology and social media stepped in and said, we'll we'll, we'll gladly fix that for you. And we'll provide the connection without any commitment. We'll provide the connection without any need to be vulnerable. And when you post your photos, you can edit them how you want, face tune them how you want. You can make yourself look however you want. You can spend six hours on your caption if you want to to make it seem like you're just perfectly eloquent and you've got everything together. And there, you can connect with people all around the world without ever really requiring that much of you. And that's, that's tainted our thinking. That's tainted the way we operate in the real world. That's, I would dare say, even tainted sometimes how some of us may view God. We think that we can have connection without commitment. We think we can just come on a Sunday or a Wednesday and feel goosebumps and go our way and still live the same way we've always lived and still do sinful things Monday through Friday. Amen. And guess what? God is a God of grace. And he's so loving and merciful, even if you're not living right, even if you're messing up, of course he'll still let you feel his presence at an altar. Of course he'll still let you feel connection with him because he loves you more than you could ever imagine. But that doesn't mean he approves of everything you or I are doing just because he allows us to feel his presence. 
And Jesus gives us connection because he's hoping that we'll see that if we give him commitment, that we'll have even more connection, long-lasting connection, connection that's never severed, connection that constantly satisfies. That's why Jesus said, when you come and drink of me, you'll never thirst again. But if you have connection without commitment, you will thirst again, and you will be bothered and miserable throughout the week. But when you decide, God, I don't want to just connect with you. I want to commit everything to you. Hallelujah. That's when everything changes, honey. That's when you start reaping the blessings and the benefits that this word of God promises you and I. I don't know about you, but in 2021, I want to be somebody that makes up my mind. I am committing everything to him. My heart, my mind, my spirit, my time, my finances, everything belongs to God. Because what the world really needs is surrender. What's going to change the world is a bunch of people surrendering everything over to Jesus Christ. Somebody praise him this morning. Oh, I'm moving quickly here this morning. Hallelujah. We must surrender. God spoke to me earlier on this year and gave me something that may not seem profound to you. It's profound to me. He told me the biggest problem humanity faces is not sin. It's not sin. That's a big problem. But, you know, Jesus died for sin. Jesus has been handling sin, healing sin, forgiving sin for a long, long time. He's very good at it. If you've got sin in your life here today and things that you wish you wouldn't have done and regrets, guess what? In a few minutes, there's going to be an altar where you can repent and God will receive your repentance. He will receive your prayers and he will help you with that guilt and that sin. He will take you in. He will never push you away. He is a loving God that knows exactly what to do with your sin and my sin. And if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of all your sins in water, can I tell you, Jesus paid the price so you could have your sins washed away in water in Jesus' name. There's a remedy. There's an option. You don't have to leave here burdened down and weighed down by all the sin you came in here with. You can leave here changed. You can leave here with the Holy Ghost. You can leave here with your sins washed away. We've got robes and towels in the back. There's no need for you to wait. If you've never been baptized exclusively in the name of Jesus Christ, you need to be if you want the record of all of your sins washed away. I just got to stop and ask someone that. Are you willing to surrender to God's plan of salvation for your life? If you say you want to surrender and you've not yet been baptized, that's one of the first ways you've got to surrender is to humble yourself and say, God, I'm going to get baptized because I want the record of all my sins washed away in Jesus' name. You say, well, preacher, I'm a believer. Well, I'm glad you're a believer. Amen. I, I rejoice with you, but there's more to it than that. Mark 16, 16 says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. In Acts 19, Paul came across a group of believers, and he asked them, you know, are you believers? They said, yeah, we're believers. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? There's more. Belief is a first foundational step, but there's more to achieve. There's more to receive from God. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you've been baptized? They said, no, we haven't even heard of one. He said, how were you baptized then? They said, unto John's baptism. So then Paul started preaching to them about what I'm preaching to you right now. Jesus' name, baptism, and being filled with the Holy Ghost. And by the time that scene was over, those believers had submitted and surrendered to the plan of God. They were baptized in Jesus' name, rebaptized because they were baptized the first time the wrong way. Amen. Or, or a way that wasn't completely fulfilled and salvific. 
and they were filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. You can read this for yourself in Acts 19, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 8, and so on, okay? So that's for free. That's just an aside. God can take care of your and my sin. And such were some of you, but you have been washed. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. I'm somebody that knows what it's like to live in sin. I used to drug. I used to drink. I used to do all that. But God forgave me and set me free. And now I'm here living a clean, holy, transparent life before you by the grace of God. If God could do it for a messed up wretch, 17-year-old boy, then he can do it for anybody here in this house this morning. But the biggest problem we face is not sin. This is what the Lord told me. The biggest problem we face is not sin. The biggest problem we face is the justification of sin. The biggest problem we face is not humanity's tendency towards sin, although that is a big problem. But the biggest problem is humanity's refusal to repent. You wonder why you see a spirit of violence raging in our world right now? You wonder why you've heard more people on on the news or different personalities make reference to violence and talk about how they want to hurt and commit violence against their political enemies. You wonder why that kind of rhetoric and language is rising. Because there's a lot of people in these end times that are refusing to bow their knee and refusing to repent. And they've left God behind them in the dust. The Bible says he can handle sin, but what it does say is the one thing that God resists is the proud. The one thing that God cannot handle because he's a gentleman and he will not force himself on anyone. He says, if you're too proud, if you justify your sin, if you're not willing to surrender or repent, I'm stepping back and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can and people are going to be praying for you. But God says, I will not force myself on you. Look at one Bible example. Look at David and King Saul. Both of them committed egregious sins. But whenever the men of God approached Saul, whenever God came to try to speak to Saul about what he was doing, he would double down on it, wouldn't he? Oh, God, I was doing it for you. I was just trying to do the right thing. I thought maybe if I, I know you didn't say to do that and you said to do something different. But I thought if I did this, then things would work out better. I was just trying to look out for your best interest, God, and justifying, explaining away. But what happened when David, when the prophet came to him and said, and told him a story and explained to him the great sin that he had done, David admitted, he said, I am that man. I am the man you talked about in this story. I am the sinner. I am the one that caused the husband of, of a wife to be killed in battle. I am the one that took advantage of a married woman. I am the sinner here. And look what happened. He was forgiven and his name still went down in the hall of fame and he was recorded as a man after God's own heart. That's the difference. They both sinned, but one repented and one justified it. You find this as well in John chapter 9, 40 through 41. Amen. Where Jesus explains to the Pharisees, he tells them, he tells them the problem with you is that is claiming you aren't blind instead of just admitting the fact that you are blind. The problem, he said, is not the blindness. If you were truly blind, then you would be ignorant. You would not be held responsible for for all the things you don't know. The problem, Pharisees, is that you're claiming you aren't blind when you really are. The problem is that you're justifying it and you're not admitting it. The problem is not the sin, but rather the justification of it. The lack of surrender. 
And the response, and I don't know who this is for this morning. This is just what I felt. you got to eat the meat and throw away the bones. The response of so many people today, whether in church or out of the church, is, but preacher, I don't want to surrender. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to surrender. And there are millions of people, both in the church and out of the church, who are living in dysfunction and living in destruction, all because of their refusal to completely surrender their lives over to God. In Daniel chapter 4, there was a man named Nebuchadnezzar who refused to surrender to God, refused to admit the real state of things, refused to admit reality and his, the part he played in that reality. And the Bible says in Daniel 4 that Nebuchadnezzar literally lost his mind. And he ended up like an insane beast crawling around, subhuman, less than human. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to Nebuchadnezzar? Here's why. Because people are not free to break God's moral laws. God's laws, when violated, break people. People are not free to break God's moral laws. God's laws, when violated, break people. I don't want to be someone that spends my whole life trying to find loopholes and trying to shy away from God's laws. Instead, when I submit my life to him and his plan, that's when I can live in the beautiful symphony that he's created for me. That's when I can have true joy and true peace. I find my life when I lay it down. I want the musician to come. It was Adolf Hitler who said, he said, I want to raise a generation of young people. He said this, and it was written in German. They've translated it into English. It was written, I believe, in his um, biography called My Struggle. And he wrote in it, he said, I want to raise a generation of young people who are devoid of conscience, imperious, relentless, and cruel. That was his goal. And if you know and remember anything about history in Germany, he accomplished that to a large degree. Hitler, who was, in my opinion, one of the, one of the greatest manifestations of Satan in the last hundreds, thousands of years, Hitler wanted to make hearts hard, completely impervious to surrender. He wanted to make hearts so hard that nothing could penetrate them, not even the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we as Christians have the opposite task, and that is to make hearts soft, vulnerable, and willing to surrender. That's why there's a point in Scripture where God talks about removing the stony heart out of, out of people and giving them a new, soft, sensitive, beating red heart. And some people don't want that because vulnerability requires risk. And vulnerability means that your heart could get hurt and could get broken. But it's worth it. And it's so much better than living life with a hard heart, never knowing what love is. If you're not willing to risk, then you'll never know what true love is. You've got to be willing to surrender. You've got to be willing to take that hard heart that's been hurt and beat up. And, and, and you've been taken advantage of and used and abused. So your heart, you've hardened it. But God is saying, will you surrender that to me and let me make your heart soft again? I can make you a better man. I can make you a better woman, a better husband, better wife, a better son, a better daughter. If you're willing to surrender yourself 
to me. Yes, your heart could sometimes get poked and get hurt and get broken, as we like to say, so to speak. But Jesus can put all those pieces back together. And, and I would much rather have a life with meaning, even if it means sometimes experiencing pain, than having a life with no pain and no meaning at all. Only Jesus Christ can give you the meaning and purpose that your heart longs for. How long will you hold on to the hardness? When will you make up in your mind, I'm going to surrender everything to Jesus. I've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Some people even want to make, they want to absolve themselves of their responsibility and their need to surrender. Some people will even make accusations of others to absolve themselves of their own responsibility. They'll always talk about what others did and how others hurt them. And all of that is deflection to keep themselves from admitting their own responsibility to surrender their heart and mind to God. But I believe today is the day that people can get on their knees, both saints of God and visitors alike, and surrender everything to God. You say, but preacher, I have surrendered. Some of us have had powerful moments of surrender. When you receive the Holy Ghost, if you're here and you've received the Holy Ghost before, you spoke in other tongues that the Spirit of God gave the utterance, that happened in a moment of surrender. When you were baptized in Jesus' name, if you've been baptized, it's because you made the decision, the wonderful decision, to put your will aside and obey his gospel. But after having those moments, some of you went back behind your wall, went back behind your ways, went back behind your plans, and you have since lived an unsurrendered life to God. Do you remember how much peace you felt in those moments of surrender when you first were saved and gave your heart to God and allowed him to speak through you and you were speaking in a heavenly language around a bunch of strangers and you didn't even care? Remember how much peace you felt in those moments when you went down on water, you came up and you knew the record of your sins was taken care of forever? Then imagine with me how wonderful a life of surrender would be. Not just moments of surrender here and there, but imagine how wonderful a life of surrender would be. I'm going to conclude here shortly. Thank you for your attention. I heard a story recently by a group called Doctors Without Borders. They're a group of doctors that go around the world and provide medical care to access challenged nations that don't have medical care, have never had medical care. These are trained professionals risking a lot to go to dangerous areas around the world to treat people. Quite a noble and inspirational group. And there was a story I heard about that I'll never forget as long as I live. They were, had set up a camp in a country, and there was a woman that came in. She had never received any serious medical care, never seen white coats or syringes, didn't know what it was all about, didn't speak the same language as the doctors. But she came in and made it clear with her guest gestures that she had a severe toothache, a severe tooth problem. And so, so they, they took her aside, and they looked at it, and they could tell there was a horrible, massive infection in her mouth that was very serious and could take her life. But they knew the first thing they're going to have to do, obviously, is give her pain medication. Inject her with something to take the pain away because she was yelling and screaming. There's no way they could operate or do anything with her in that state. And so they took the needle and they injected it into her. And a few seconds later, a warmth came over her face and the pain was gone. And because she didn't know anything about this medicine, she thought that she was cured. 
And so she began waving goodbye to the doctors, smiling, trying to thank them. And they tried to tell her in English, no, you don't understand. You have a huge problem. We've got to take care of it. Stay here. But I guess she was busy and had a family attend to. So she walked away, was waving and turned and ran. And they tried to get her come back, but she would not come back thinking that she had been healed of her issue, not realizing that they had just given her medication for her issue and she needed deeper treatment. And sadly, they find that, found out a few days or a week later, they found out from someone else that this woman had passed away because she got a shot for the pain, but she didn't allow the surgeons to put her on the table and do the deep, hard work that was required to heal her. I worry sometimes, I hope not, I worry sometimes that maybe we're living on shots in Pentecost. Sometimes I worry some of us are living on shots instead of living by faith. And we come and get our checkups and get our shots and it numbs the pain. And we go on our way and we, we, we don't always change. We keep doing things the way we've done. And Jesus, the great physician, is looking down saying, I want to go deeper. I gave you that for the pain, but I want to need to perform surgery on you if you really want these issues to be fixed. Do you see the great physician? He gives shots out of grace and love, but then he wants to perform surgery to take care of the issue forever. He doesn't want to just take care of the fruit. He wants to go to the root. He doesn't want to just take care of the symptom. He wants to take care of the cause. The physician needs to go deeper. Will you allow him to go deeper today? Will you allow him to perform that surgery? Will you give those things that only he can heal you of? Will you forgive like you've needed to forgive for years but haven't? Will you surrender that bitterness? Will you surrender your mind and your heart to God? Open everything up to him and say, God, however and whatever you want to do to me, do it. Work on me. Change me. I'm surrendering to you. When is the last time, can I be so bold with you, can I speak to you in love? When's the last time some of us wept at an altar? For some of us, it was last week. For some of us, it was Thursday night. For others, it was the yesterday at the altar you made near your bedside. But for others, it has been months and months. For some here, maybe you've never even had that experience of surrendering to God on an altar. When's the last time? prayed in church? When's the last time you stretched yourself out on an altar and surrendered everything over to God? Maybe you're here visiting and you grew up in a different faith tradition. You remember going to church with your grandma and lighting candles and, and praying certain traditional ceremonial prayers. Maybe you remember times as a child where a tear came down your face as you sat in those hard pews and you felt something special when the preacher was preaching but it's been a long, long time. And since then, you've never gone on your knees and just given over everything to God, not caring what anyone else thinks, not caring what anyone else is doing, but you're just giving over everything to Him. There's no better decision you can make, saints. There's no better decision you can make, visitor. You're looking at a young person at 17 years old that finally made the decision to surrender. And that's been nine years ago, and God has blessed me like I can't even describe in an hour's time. God has done, and you could testify as well. So many people across this building could testify what happened to them when they finally made up in their mind to surrender to God. I'll conclude with this.
then this altar is going to be open. We're all going to come and pray. And if you've never received the Holy Ghost, you've never had the Bible evidence, like, in, like I said in the book of Acts and elsewhere, of people speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. You've never had that happen to you, and you want more of God, and you, you want to know His Spirit is within you, then you can come to this front in just a few minutes. Lift your hands. Repent of your sins, which is surrendering. What is repentance if not surrendering your will to God? God can fill you in a moment. If you've never been baptized, you can talk to these leaders up here. You can ask an usher and tell them, I want to be baptized to have all my sins washed away. That's one of the greatest decisions of surrender you could ever make. In the Olympic Games of Barcelona, Barcelona 1992, and the singers can come and prepare if that's appropriate. In the Olympic Games of Barcelona 1992, there was a British runner named Derek Redmond. He was a fabulous runner, an up-and-coming star, and he was fully expected to win the 400-meter run. They came to the finals in the Olympics. The gun was sounded, and now Derek is running towards the 400-meter mark. At the 125-meter mark, suddenly on worldwide television, the cameras show him stopping and grabbing his leg in pain. Derek has pulled his hamstring a runner's nightmare. Derek falls. He struggles to get up. And out of the crowd, there is a man running down the bleachers as fast as he can. And the security is trying to stop him and get to him. But all he had to do was say three words. I'm his father. And they left him alone. And Derek's father is running pushing everyone aside, comes on to the Olympic racetrack. No one knows who he is, so he keeps shouting, that's my son, that's my son. The father comes beside Derek, who is barely hobbling along, crying, wincing in pain, trying to finish the race. And the father puts his arm around Derek and lifts him up. Derek concedes and puts his arm around his dad's shoulder and there he is for the world to see leaning on the shoulder of his dad hobbling crying but slowly moving towards the finish line I don't know who officially won that race that day but I do know who the real winners were that day and it was Derek and his father can I just remind someone here this morning that life at times, there will be moments and seasons where life will disappoint you and let you down. But God is there to hold you and walk with you when your hamstring has failed you. When your plans and goals have been torn apart, God is there to walk you through it and get you to the end. But it is up to us to take his arm, to lean our head on his shoulder and say, Father, I cannot run this race without you. And when you and I are willing to admit that, when you and I are willing to completely surrender, that is when Jesus can come and lift us up and walk with us and guarantee that we will finish this race. I need somebody to praise him right now if you believe that. Come on, let's stand all over this house. Come on, let's stand all over this house. 
I didn't get into this thing to make it halfway and then to fall apart. No, I'm surrendering everything because I want to fight the good fight of faith. I want to press towards the mark. I want to finish the race. I want to cross over that finish line one day and hear my God saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But the only way that's going to happen is if I make sure every day and in this moment at an altar that I have surrendered my heart, my will, my plans, my past, present, and future all to Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to be willing to say every loss and every win, where I'm going and where I've been, I give it all to Jesus, my dearest, closest friend. Would you bow your heads? Would you lift your hands? Whatever you feel right now, let's take advantage of this divine moment. I'm done preaching. God has spoken to some people. However God has spoken to you in whatever way specifically, you need to respond to that. Whatever God's asking of you, whatever God is wanting of you, respond to it. And if God is asking you to surrender something specific, do not fear. There is nothing that God will take that he won't give twice as better in return. There's nothing God that will ask you to give up that he won't give you three times as better in return. Come on, these altars are open for saints and visitors alike. Don't be afraid. Hallelujah. But come and make up in your mind. If you have not yet fully surrendered, if there's things in your life you've held back from God, make up in your mind. Here I am, Jesus. The peace that you've been wanting is waiting for you here at an altar. The joy that you've been needing is right there at the tip of your fingertips. All that's required of you is to surrender your heart to God. church. I know this is different for a Sunday morning, but would you come and do that? Come on, he'll never reject you. He'll never turn you away. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Here I am, God. Here's everything. Come on, maybe you've had experiences with God in the past. Maybe you're a believer, but you want more. This message is for you too. Come and get more. Get more of him. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Withholding nothing this morning. I surrender all to you, Jesus. Come on, make that your prayer this morning.